1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Well, today is Father's Day, and uh, we, we really want to take some time to dive into God's Word and, and, and look at some different aspects of being a father. And I love the music service this morning, talking about God as our faithful Father and how we need to be faithful followers of Him and faithful fathers uh, to our families and, and to show the world around us what it means to be faithful. And that's really what this is, it's the, the points that we're going to do today, and it's another acrostic for the word father, uh, are some different aspects of being a faithful father. Uh, but before we really get into it, I was thinking this week, and I come up with a, a top 10 list, uh, a top 10 list of why it's good to be a dad. And uh, so I want to share these with you. I come up with these this week. Uh, number one, it's good to be a dad because kids think you know everything. Now, that's little kids, not older kids, okay? <laughs> little kids think you know everything. Uh, that's always fun. Um, uh, number two, they, they can't fathom someone being stronger than you. Like they, they uh, when, when, when you're little, it's not uncommon for hear kids go, well, my dad can beat up your dad, you know? Because in their mind, there's no one stronger or tougher uh, than their own dad. So that's always good. Uh, number three, uh, you get to teach them the fun stuff. Um, the stuff that is the reason why many moms don't want to leave you at home by yourself with the kids um, when she comes home and hears about the stuff you've done. But you get to teach them the fun stuff. Um, here's something actually that's pretty good as you get a little older. Phone calls literally last about 30 seconds. Your kids call you and talk for 30 seconds. Now, if you're the mom, if you don't phone conversation a little longer than 30 seconds, but uh, phone calls are generally a little over maybe 30 seconds. Uh, number five, embarrassing your kids is your job. That is one of my favorites. I love to try to embarrass my kids. A few years back, uh, some, my wife bought me uh, a Chewbacca mask. And this Chewbacca mask, you put it on, and when you move your mouth, it makes Chewbacca noises. And I kept threatening to drive to school and drop my kids off wearing it. And uh, one day I did. And uh, so I pull up and dropping them off, and all the kids are looking at me, and I'm just smiling and waving, and my kids are like, can we just hide? But uh, I love embarrassing. That's part of your job as a dad. Um, pestering your children becomes one of your favorite pastimes. Uh, that's, that's a good reason. Uh, number seven is you get, if you have a daughter, you get to give their boyfriends a hard time. And, uh, for example, you can show them your collection of five shrunken heads and then yell to her, hey, number six is here. And when he comes to pick her up, that's be fun. Uh, you could uh, learn the true meaning of self-control and impulse control, uh, particularly when they're teenagers. Uh, you get to do that. Uh, number nine, you get an opportunity to feel pride like never before when they succeed at something particularly at something you weren't very good at. And so that's, that's great. And then number 10, and this is, to me, the greatest reason why it's good to be a dad, is you carry the name. You carry the same name as our Father in heaven. You carry the name Father to them. And, and we get to show our children a glimpse, at just a glimpse of what he's like. And that, I think, is where a lot of fathers really kind of fall short, is, I don't know about you, but that was really kind of a mind-blowing thought this week as I thought about it. Do, have you ever stopped to think that as your children's father, 
you carry the name that God desires for people to know him as. You carry the name Father, and that's what God desires for people to know him as. He, he wants to be known as their father. And you carry that name with them. And when you think of that, it's really daunting, and it's humbling to have that name attached to you. And frankly, it's a name that none of us will ever completely live up to. There's no way that any earthly father could ever live up to the standard of God the Father. But that shouldn't stop us from trying to live like our Father so that our children see God in us. When I was in high school, I had a youth pastor that had a, a little boy. And every year at Father's Day, and I've sang this song here myself, but he would sing, I want to be just like you. And if you've ever heard that song, that's what the whole song is about, is God, I want to be just like you so that he sees God, he sees you in me. And so he realizes that the father that you are in heaven, he, he can have that relationship because he's seen you in me. And, and so this morning, though it, it's a task that none of us can really live up to, it's, it's one that none of us will ever perfectly be able to accomplish, that doesn't mean that we can't look at Scripture and see some things that God desires for his particularly his fathers, but these could be for anyone, uh, particularly for his fathers, to be so that the world, and particularly our children, get a picture and, and a small sampling or a glimpse of who God in heaven wants to be to them. And so to accomplish this, we, we've made up an acrostic. But before we get to that, if you have your Bibles open in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's stand together and read a text that I think really sums up what it means to be a good father, one that is showing uh, your children what, it, what God in heaven looks at. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and to his glory. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease, and that your spirit living in me would increase, and that the words would be yours and not mine, and that they would impact our hearts and our lives today. For your glory and for your honor, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul kind of uses an analogy, and he says, just like a father with his own children, and then he lists some things that fathers do for their children. They encouraged, they comforted, and they implored their children. But notice the last statement. They encouraged, they comforted, and implored their children to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom. And, and that's really what the role of a dad is, is someone who encourages their children, who comforts their children, but implores their children to live a life worthy of God. And, and the way that one of the ways that we do that is by living an example in front of our children in a small glimpse of who God is and what He's like. In, so that they can see that. I want you to know, I spent youth ministry 10 years, and one of the hardest things to teach was God being a good father to children who didn't have a good father. They don't comprehend it. They, you, you tell them that there's a heavenly father that loves them, they, they have no, no way to feel that because their earthly father doesn't love them. 
You, you tell them that there's a heavenly father that would forgive them, and they have an earthly father who's kicked them out of their home. And it's really difficult to, to, to teach youth and children the love of the father in heaven when they haven't seen any aspect of that in their earthly father. Now, there's ways that you can teach that, and there's ways that God, I've seen it, he's went through that, and, and he's shown them and revealed himself to be a good father to those children. But I'm telling you, as a father, I want to live in such a way that when my children hear that the father in heaven is a loving God, that they've seen love in me. When they hear that the God in heaven is faithful, that they've seen me be faithful. When they hear that there's a father in heaven, that they could tie that in to, to, to me. Not, not so that I would get glory, but so my kids would see a glimpse of who God is and that I wouldn't be a hindrance to them walking with God. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take the word father, and I want to share with you some different aspects of being a good father from Scripture that not only represent who, who we should be, but represent who God is so that we can live this in front of our families. Number one, First of all, is the word F, and that means to be faithful. Faithful. Fathers, you need to be faithful. You need to be a faithful person. Now, I want you to know we live in a society where unfaithfulness is the norm, and faithfulness is often ignored. I love the fact that we recognize anniversaries here. I've been in a lot of churches who recognize birthdays. This is the first church I can remember that recognizes anniversaries. And I think that's great because it honors faithfulness to one's spouse. And I particularly love it when we get to honor someone who's been married 50 years, 60 years, some that may even reach 70 years or 75. What a testimony to faithfulness. But, but we live in a culture where a lot of times faithfulness igno is ignored and unfaithfulness is the norm, and, and it's plastered all over in front of it. I'll give you an example of that. I mean, how often do you hear about a Hollywood couple that's married 30 years, no divorce, has three kids, they're all grown up? You never hear about them. But I guarantee you, you hear about the couple that is caught in an affair and are getting divorced after six months or a year or two years or three years. It's constant. I'll give you an example of that. How many of you knew that Michael J. Fox has been married for over 30 years to a woman he met on a set of a show back in the 80s that he was on a TV sitcom? He, he has, but you won't see that anywhere because he's been faithful to his wife. But I guarantee you, as soon as he's unfaithful, you're going to see it. So that's the way it works in our culture. So, so faithfulness is often ignored, whereas unfaithfulness has become the norm, but the role of the father is to be a faithful father. Now, I want you to, to notice two very specific things about this before we move on to the next aspect. There are two specifics that we're to be faithful to. Number one, first and foremost, we are to be faithful to God. If, if we're to be a, a father that represents and is a glimpse of our father in heaven, then we need to be faithful to God. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. It says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of a steward that one be found faithful to God. 
when we are fathers, we need to be faithful stewards. What are we stewards of? His name. You carry the name Father. He carries the name Father. We need to be faithful stewards of his name. And the way we do that is being faithful to him. We need to be faithful to him. Number two, not only do we need to be faithful to God, but we need to be faithful to our families. Men, we need to be faithful to our families. In Hebrews chapter 13, listen to this. It says, marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And I don't know if you've ever really paid much attention in a wedding, but that's exactly what you do in a wedding. You're making an oath before God to the person you are marrying that you are going to honor her, that you are going to cherish her, that you are going to save yourself for her and for her alone. And, and, and the wife, that's the same for you. That's what you do in a marriage. You are making an oath to the Lord that you are going to do this, that you are going to bind yourself together, and you will not violate your word. But we live in a throwaway society. And I can't count how many times I've seen men just throw away their families. And I want you to know, men, and let me just tell you, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Matter of fact, I can't count how many men that regret their decision would come back and say, I wish I'd have really realized the grass isn't always greener on the other side. But men will, sometimes will throw away that which is great for something that is just temporary and then they get on the other side and then they have nothing but a life of regrets. If we want to be faithful, then we've got to be faithful to our families. Because God, why? Because God's faithful to his family. You see, God is a faithful God and he never abandons his children. We, the church, is God's bride and God never abandons his bride. So we represent, if we want to be a small glimpse to our families of who God is, then we need to be faithful because he is faithful and we steward that name in front of the world. And so number one, if we want to be a, a, a father or a person, because again, this can apply to anyone, that we need to be a faithful person. Number two, not only do we need to be faithful, but to be a small glimpse of who God is, we need to be approachable. Fathers, in particular, you need to be approachable to your children. Now, one of, one of the good stories, great stories that's often not really talked about a whole lot in Scripture is in Matthew 13, and it's where Jesus has kind of, his disciples had kind of gathered around, and people were coming to him to be ministered to, and then all of a sudden, these parents began to bring their children to Jesus. And if you notice in the story in Matthew 13, the disciples and some of the other adults were trying to tell them to get away. You need to, you don't bother Jesus. You, they, they, the, the children in that case, by many of them, including the disciples, were looked of as a, as a bother or as a hindrance. And so they're barring these children from coming to Jesus, and Jesus chast, uh, chastens his disciples, and he corrects them, and, and he actually technically rebukes them and says, do not, not let the children, suffer not the little children to come to me, basically. He said, don't, don't hinder the children from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. 
And he says, unless one becomes like this little child, they will by no means come into God's kingdom. And and you can take that story and talk about it in a lot of different ways for a lot of different theological truths. But one of the great ones is, is Jesus loves children. And he wants children to come to him. And what he's showing us is that Jesus is approachable. He's approachable. Sometimes we as dads are just not very approachable to our kids. But if we want to be a small glimpse of who God is, then we need to realize he's approachable, and therefore we need to be approachable. Jesus loved the little children. He enjoyed them. He wanted them to be able to approach him and know that he cared for them. And and I want you to know some viewed them as a bother, some viewed them as an inconvenience, but Jesus, who is our role model, did not view them in that manner. Sometimes, I want you to know, dads, and I'm guilty of this myself, we get so busy with other things that we forget to make time for our children. Sometimes our work, sometimes our hobbies, sometimes things like that get all of our energy, and when we get home, we have little, little left for our kids. I, I can tell you, that's, I struggle with that, because I come home some days, and I'm just wiped out. And here's little Gabby, who loves softball, by the way. Uh, thanks, Miss Barry. If she, I don't see her, but uh, thanks, Miss Barry. She loves softball, and she'd come in. Dad, will you play catch with me? Dad, will you do this? And sometimes it's like, oh, you know, and I'm tired and I'm wore out, and I'm, I'm trying to be better at that. But but it's it's really to me, it's not good when so much other things get more of my energy than my own children get my energy. But I'm glad my daughter hasn't stopped asking me. You see, because she knows she can approach me, and my other children can, can approach me about things. I want to be approachable to them. I don't want them to see themselves as an inconvenience because God doesn't see them as an inconvenience. I want them to be able to approach me because God is approachable, and I want them to know that as they can approach me with their problems or their hurts or their needs or their wants or their desires, they can also approach God with those same things. They need to know we're approachable. Now, why is that? Well, really, for two quick reasons. Number one, I just mentioned one of them, God is approachable. If we want them to get a glimpse, a little bit of a glimpse of who God is and what he's like, then we need to be approachable as God is approachable because he is approachable. And I'm thankful that God's approachable. Listen, not every religion on the face of the planet has a God that's approachable. We do, and we ought to thank God for that. But I want you to also know this, not only do we need to be approachable because God's approachable, but the, your approachability to your children will directly influence if they will come to you when they need you later. I tell you what, one of the, one of the most, um, well, let me, let me say it like this. One of the most memorable parenting lessons I ever got was from a deacon at a church in Lone Grove named Joe Word, who's now passed on and went on to be with the Lord just in the last year or so. But I was visiting with Joe Word, and he was one of my deacons. He was older. And I'm sitting there, and we're talking. I don't even have a clue what we're talking about. We're talking about something. And Galen ran up to me wanting something. And I remember I was, like, pushing her aside, like, just, just wait. I'm, I'm talking. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in teaching your kids proper manners and not, you know, being rude and all that, but but it was a little more than that. It was more of, I, I'm busy, you know, kind of go away. 
And so I kind of pushed her away, and she walked away, and he looked right at me and said, don't ever do that. I said, what? He said, let me tell you something. When your kid comes to you with a stub toe, with a splinter in their finger, you make that the most important thing in the world right then. Because to them, that's the most important thing in the world right then. That's their biggest need in that moment. He said, and, and I was like, oh, oh, and it kind of caught me off guard. He said, you want to know why? I said, why is that? And he said, because if you don't do it now, when they're older and they have bigger issues, they won't come to you. And then he proceeded to tell me a story of his son who had a drug problem. But when he figured out he had a problem, he came to his dad. But his son's best friend, who had the same problem, wouldn't go to his father. Because his father had never showed him that he was approachable. Not one time. Your approachability will directly influence whether or not they'll come to you later in life. And I want you to know, I don't care how old my kids get, I want them to know they can come to me. When they have a problem, I'd rather them come to me than go to the world, I guarantee it. Because I guarantee you I have their best interest at heart. The world may say they do, but I guarantee you I do. And I want them to know it doesn't matter what it is, and I don't care how bad it is, and I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter how silly or ignorant or dumb it is. I want you to come to me, and I want you to, be, I want you to know I'm approachable. Why? Because God's approachable. We do some dumb stuff as people, uh, and that's why we're called lambs, because they do dumb stuff. And we do dumb stuff. Aren't you glad that just because we do dumb stuff, our Father in Heaven doesn't say you're ignorant, go away? He doesn't do that. He sits there, and he's like, come back to me. And then he loves on us, and he, he, he chastens us, yes, he disciplines, yes, but he loves on us always for the purpose of reconciliation to get us on the path that he wants us to be on. And so that's what I want to be as a parent. So we need to be faithful. We need to be approachable. Um, the, the third thing is, uh, is the T, and that is we get to be a trainer. We get to be a trainer, and we need to be a trainer. One great aspect of being a father, and I mentioned this earlier in the top ten list, is you get to, you get to do the fun stuff. You get to teach your kids the how-tos of life. You, I mean, you get to teach them, like, how to fish and how to maybe catch a ball, how to maybe play golf if that's your th thing, or um, you get to teach them how to change a tire and how to throw a proper snowball, how to pester mommy, you know, all that fun stuff. You get to teach them how to do that. You get to teach them the how-tos of life as a father, and it's a great thing. But I want you to know, as a Christian father, not only do we have the, the opportunity to teach them the how-tos of life, we get the opportunity to train them in the how-tos of the Christian life. You see, in, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, "Father, verse 4, Fathers do not... Uh, stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. As a father, we get the opportunity to be a trainer to our children in the things of God. We get to train our children in, in how to love God and how to live for God and how to serve God and how to worship God. We get to be a great example for them in that. And again, I'll just go back to my youth ministry roots for a few minutes. It, it it's always amazed me that some of the kids in my youth group 
who truly learned more than anything how to love God, live for God, serve God, and do these, did it without a father in the home that was pointing them in that direction. That's a, that's a testimony to our Heavenly Father doing a work that none of us could really do. But what always amazed me in, in my ministry, and I'm not saying this is, this is true of everyone everywhere, but in my ministry, the, the, the students in my youth ministry who didn't have parents teaching them this, that had no desire to be this, ended up living more like this than those who had parents at home that brought them to church. That, that always surprised me. And, and you know what we, we started to figure out or I started to figure out over time? Is a lot of times the children whose parents were bringing them to church, their parents only lived like that on Sunday. And guess how their kids grew up? They lived like that on Sunday. Listen, you can put on a facade every Sunday morning. It doesn't mean you're faithful, doesn't mean you're approachable, and it doesn't mean you're training your kids. You can bring your kids to church every Sunday. It doesn't technically mean you're training them. You see, a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, they should not be the primary trainers of godliness in your children's lives. They should be a, an assist to that. They should come alongside what you're doing, right? And, and I'm guilty of this. I, I'm telling you, I'm guilty of this, where... I, 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 as a pastor, I train, you know, try to train the whole church, but sometimes I, I leave what my kids are learning in godliness up to the youth pastor or the children's minister or whatever, and I forget, wait a minute, they should be coming alongside what I'm doing. And as a, as a dad, we get the opportunity to train our kids in things of godliness. And so not only should we be faithful and not only should we be um, approachable, we, but we should be a trainer. We should take that role seriously. H, the H letter, means honorable. We need to be honorable as a father. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about honor. And honor is not really something that's emphasized a whole lot in our culture the way it used to be. I mean, do you realize that, that years ago that the, there really was nothing more important to some people than their honor? To the point that people have literally fought to the death to protect their honor. Maybe sounds silly to you, but someone, they, they did something to, to slander your honor. There were times where they'd go out and meet each other in a duel. Because they were going to protect their honor. Because to them, that was more important than, than even dying, was having honor. Well, what is honor? Honor simply means having a good name or high public esteem. And, and, and we need to live honorable lives. Scripture tells us that we should live honorably. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21, it says, Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us, but we provide honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We are to be honorable people. Why? Because God is honorable. I'm thankful God is honorable. And we need to live honorably. Why? How can you and I point others to God when we live dishonorable lives? What, what about our kids? Why would they learn to live honorably if they have no example of honor in their lives? 
We need to be honorable and we need to demand honorability in our kids' lives. You know, we've got parents today, I'm sorry to say, and maybe I've done this a time or ten, I don't know. But parents, you're the parent, you're not their friend. Your job is to train them. Part of training them is training them to be honorable, to do what's right. Part of honor is integrity. It's another good word. To let your yes be yes and your no be no, but to do what you say you're going to do, to follow through with what you say you're going to do. And we need to be not only training our kids to be honorable, but we need to be the standard of honor in our families. We need to back up what we say. Yet let our yes be yes and our no be no. That's who we need to be. We need to be honorable. The E stands for, and I'll get through these last ones really quick. The E stands for an encourager. You get to be an encourager to your children. Oh, I struggle with this and sometimes. Particularly with sports. I've gotten better. I have to admit, I'm a lot better with Gabby playing softball than I was with Galen. Sorry, Galen. She's shaking her head lit, yes, like she knows. But, but I was. Because sometimes I was being more of their coach, which it, there's a time for that, than I was being their encourager, being their support. Being there to, to tell them good job or keep working or to encourage them in what they're doing. And it's not just sports. It's anything in life. We need to encourage our children. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And this is the verses we read at the beginning of the service. It says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you to live worthy of God. Like a father with his own children, we encouraged comforted and implored you we we need to be an encourager to our children they get a lot of non-encouragement there's a word for that i'm sure they get a lot of that in the world there are times when we don't need to be the encourager where we need to be the trainer right but there's a lot of times where we need to be their encourager don't give up don't quit. Keep moving forward. You're doing good. Keep working. Part of being a parent is encouraging your children to keep moving forward. I've seen children get so exasperated that they just throw their hands up and want to quit. I don't want to be that. I, I want to be an encourager to them so they don't quit, not a source of why they quit. And I'm not just talking about sports. That's in Academics, but more than anything, it's in their walk with Christ. It's in their walk with Christ. And then R, the last thing, is we need to be resilient. We need to be resilient. I want you to know parenting isn't for the weak. It takes strength to be a good parent. Um, because it gets hard at times. This last week, I've got a phone call from a former student of mine. And he's got two little kids now, and uh, we, we were just chatting on the phone. He was talking to me about some things. He was trying to get me to come play uh, in a golf tournament with him, and I wasn't able to go, but we were talking about that. And he asked how, how my kids were doing, and I was telling him. And he was in my youth group um, 
when Garen was born, he was a senior when Garen was born. Uh, so he remembers Galen, you know, little bitty growing up in our church, going to Falls Creek. You remember Garen being born. He was still around when Gabby was born. So he knows all three of my kids. They probably wouldn't remember him, but he, he knows them. So he's asking me about my kids, and I said, yeah, they're, they're doing all right. And he said, well, how's, how's Galen doing? I said, well, she's getting ready to go to Super Summer. And he's like, are you kidding me? I said, yeah. He said, how did she get that old? I said, I don't know. And we sat and we talked, and he said, so answer me this. He said, um, is, how, how is it parenting a teenager? And I said, oh, it's got its moments. <laughs> and he went, he stopped, and this is his words. You mean it gets harder? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, it, it gets harder. <laughs> and uh, he, he said, oh, you need to pray for me because his two kids are infants still. I mean, one's a toddler and one's an infant. And he, he in his mind, he was like, it, it gets harder? He's like, yeah, it gets, it gets harder because the problems they deal with become bigger problems. You know, when they're a toddler, the biggest problem you might have is, you know, keeping them from getting something out of the toilet or for putting a fork in the electric socket. But when they get older, the problems they can get into are a little heavier. A little and it's hard and listen that's why parenting is not for the weak because there's going to be issues and we need to be resilient we need to stay there and say we're not giving up on this we're going to keep pushing through that no matter how hard it gets we need to be resilient we don't need to quit on our children or our families why because God is resilient he never gives up on his children I'm thankful that I have a God who's my father who doesn't give up on me when I make things difficult because I don't do things the right way. I'm thankful I have a God who convicts me of those things and shows me the right direction he wants and does all of that for the purpose of reconciling me back into a right standing with him. He doesn't quit on me. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm done with you. He doesn't disown his children. In other words, he's not a derelict father. He's a good father. He's a good father because he's resilient. And if we want to be a good father that represents even a glimpse of who our heavenly father is, then we need to be resilient as well. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I was thinking about that verse this week, and we talk about trials and all that, but I'm telling you right now, that might ought to say, blessed is the man who endures the trial of having a teenager. Because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God had promised to those who love him. And I want, if you've, you know, some of you don't have teenagers yet, but those of you who have teenagers, y'all's the ones laughing because you guys know what I'm talking about. And, and they're, they're teenagers, you know, they just are. But blessed is the man who endures trials. You know, one of the best illustrations of a resilient father in all of Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. The son takes his father's inheritance, takes it, squanders it. And yet, when you read that story, there's so many great things about that story. But one of the most amazing things uh, to me about that story was that the father saw his son coming, which, number one, meant he was looking for him to come back. And then when he saw his son coming, he didn't wait for his son to get there. He ran to meet him. He never gave up on his son. Though his son did everything wrong, 
And his son, according to tradition and, and culture, was not worthy of being restored. Matter of fact, you read the story, that's why the older brother was mad. Yet that father was resilient. And as soon as his son came back, he ran to him to welcome him back with open arms. That's the type of father we have in heaven. That's the type of father we need to be to our children. So fathers, happy Father's Day. You get to carry the name that God desires for people to know him by, and that's the name Father. And you get to be a small glimpse, though imperfect one, you get to be a small glimpse of who our Heavenly Father is. He's faithful. He's approachable. He's there for us when we need Him most. He's honorable. He's our encourager. And He's ever resilient in our relationship with Him.